Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in the Year. I'm Mark Langley. And today we are going to begin our study of the third article of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we finished our study of the first two articles. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and the second article, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Now we are going to begin the third article, Who Was Conceived by the Holy Ghost, Born of the Virgin Mary. And so the authors begin this text with a little paragraph about the importance of this article. From what has been said in the preceding article, the faithful can understand that in bringing us from the relentless tyranny of Satan into liberty, God has conferred a singular and, un and surpassing blessing on the human race. But if we place before our eyes also the plan and means by which he deigned chiefly to accomplish this, then indeed we shall see that there is nothing more glorious or magnificent than this divine goodness and beneficence toward us. And the Catechism proceeds under the heading of the first part of this article, Who Was Conceived? The pastor then should enter on the exposition of this third article by developing the grandeur of the mystery, which the sacred scriptures very frequently propose for our consideration as the principal source of our eternal salvation. Its meaning he should teach to be that we believe and confess that the same Jesus Christ, our only Lord, the Son of God, when he assumed human flesh for us in the womb of the Virgin, was not conceived like other men from the seed of man, but in a manner transcending the order of nature, that is, by the power of the Holy Ghost, so that the same person remaining God as he was from eternity became man, what he was not before. That such is the meaning of the above words is clear from the creed of the Holy Council of Constantinople, which says, Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man. The same truth we also find unfolded by St. John the Evangelist, who imbibed from the bosom of the Lord and Savior himself the knowledge of this most profound mystery. For when he had declared the nature of the divine word as follows, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He concluded, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word which is a person of the divine nature assumed human nature in such a manner that there should be one and the same person in both the divine and human natures. Hence, this admirable union preserved the actions and properties of both natures. And as Pope St. Leo the Great said, the lowliness of the inferior nature was not consumed in the glory of the superior, nor did the assumption of the inferior lessen the glory of the superior. And so we see that the uh, Catechism um, alludes to the Council of Constantinople back in the 4th century, uh, the year 381, in which the Council, uh, summoned by the Emperor Theodosius I, um, settled the, uh, what we now know as the Nicene Creed. Um, so that was the Council of Constantinople. And we continue in the Catechism here uh, with the words, by the Holy Ghost. As an explanation of the words in which this article is expressed is not to be omitted, 
the pastor should teach that when we say that the Son of God was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, we do not mean that this person alone of the Holy Trinity accomplished the mystery of the Incarnation. Although the Son only assumed human nature, yet all the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were authors of this mystery. It is a principle of Christian faith that whatever God does outside himself in creation is common to the three persons, and that one neither does more than nor acts without another. But that one emanates from another, this only cannot be common to all. For the Son is begotten of the Father only, and the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father and the Son. Anything, however, which proceeds from them extrinsically is the work of the three persons without difference of any sort. And of this latter description is the incarnation of the Son of God. And so we see that the Catechism uh, carefully explains that although we say that um, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, um, we don't mean by the Holy Ghost as if he acted alone among the persons of the Trinity in the conception of Jesus. And that's kind of interesting because the, um, it, um, we tend to think that uh, the words would indicate that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, almost as if that meant to the exclusion of the other members of the Trinity. But the Catechism reminds us that there is a principle one of the theological principles is that whenever God acts outside of himself, whenever he acts in an extrinsic manner, his action proceeds from the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost as one God. Uh, but our catechism uh, does tell us that um, with respect to the intrinsic actions of God, um, the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father and the Son and the Son proceeds from the Father. And so, in terms of that internal action, uh, we, we do not say that the three members of the Trinity, um, the three persons of the Trinity act um, in, in common there. But with extrinsic actions, uh, they do act as one. So that brings up the question, why do we say he was conceived by the power of the Holy. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Uh, so the Catechism explains: of those things, nevertheless, that are common to all, the sacred scriptures often attribute some to one person, some to another. Thus, to the Father they attribute power over all things; to the Son, wisdom; to the Holy Ghost, love. Hence, as the mystery of the Incarnation manifests the singular and boundless love of God towards us, it is therefore in some sort peculiarly attributed to the Holy Ghost. And so this is um, uh, certainly um, mysterious. Um, the Catechism uh, doesn't go any further to explain why the uh, conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary is attributed to the Holy Ghost, even though that that's an action common to the uh, three persons of the Trinity. And so uh, we thought um, it appropriate at this point to look at the Summa Theologica, where St. Thomas Aquinas um, addresses this same question.
and he has an article in the third part, Tertia Pars, question 32, uh, right in the first article, where he asks the question whether the accomplishment of Christ's conception should be attributed to the Holy Ghost. And of course, uh, St. Thomas uh, does think it should be attributed to the Holy Ghost, but we see that um, even in the first objection of the, to this article, um, we see that it, it makes an allusion to the very thing the Catechism was saying. The first objection is that it would seem that the accomplishment of Christ's conception should not be attributed to the Holy Ghost, because as St. Augustine says, the works of the Trinity are indivisible, just as the essence of the Trinity is indiv indivisible. Um, so um, that's a good objection. But St. Thomas answers in the body of this article. He says, first he quotes uh, St. Luke when he says, the Holy Ghost shall, shall come upon thee. Uh, so um, the church and the, and the creed are not um, making this up. This is directly from Scripture that this uh, conception was attributed to the Holy Ghost. So St. Thomas explains, he says, I answer that the whole Trinity effected the conception of Christ's body. Nevertheless, this is attributed to the Holy Ghost for three reasons. And so let's just uh, go through each one of those reasons why this peculiar conception is attributed to the Holy Ghost, um, even though we know it's the work of the three persons in common as one God. Uh, St. Thomas says, First, because this is befitting to the cause of the Incarnation considered on the part of God. For the Holy Ghost is the love of Father and Son. Now that the Son of God took to himself flesh from the virgin's womb was due to the exceeding love of God. Wherefore it is said in John chapter 3 verse 16, God so loved the world as to give his only begotten Son. And so because the conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary is uh, appears to be something um, which springs of love, and because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the love of the Father and the Son, then it's appropriate to attribute the uh, conception of Jesus to the Holy Ghost. The second reason St. Thomas gives is, he says, this is befitting to the cause of the Incarnation on the part of the nature assumed. Because we are thus given to understand that human nature was assumed by the Son of God into the unity of person, not by reason of its merits, but through grace alone, which is attributed to the Holy Ghost. According to St. Paul to the Corinthians, he says, there are diversities of graces, but the same spirit. Wherefore, Augustine says, the manner in which Christ was born of the Holy Ghost suggests to us the grace of God, whereby man without any merits going before in the very beginning of his nature when he began to exist, was joined to God the Word into so great unity of person that he himself should be the Son of God. And so there we have the second reason where we 
uh, are used to thinking about how the Holy Ghost, to some to some extent, whenever we talk about the grace of God being spread among uh, men, we attribute that to the Holy Ghost. Um, uh, grace and the Holy Ghost um, are uh, partners. <laughs> in the in the third reason Saint Thomas gives, he says, thirdly, because this is befitting the term of the incarnation. For the term of the incarnation was that man who is being conceived should be the Holy One and the Son of God. Now both of these are attributed to the Holy Ghost, for by him men are made to be sons of God. According to Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, of, because you are sons God hath sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Again, he is the spirit of sanctification, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Therefore, just as other men are sanctified spiritually by the Holy Ghost, so as to be the adopted sons of God, so is Christ conceived in sanctity by the Holy Ghost, so as to be the natural son of God. Hence, according to Romans, a, a commentary, it says, the words, uh, it says, who was predestinated the Son of God in power are explained by what immediately follows according to the spirit of sanctification. That is, through being conceived of the Holy Ghost and the angel of the Annunciation himself, after saying, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, draws the conclusion, therefore also the Holy the Holy which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so, that's uh, helpful, uh, St. Thomas, in that question 32 in the third part, um, gives us three reasons why we say in our creed, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Again, um, thinking that uh, the conception of Jesus is really um, ascribed to the entire Trinity acting um, with one voice, so to speak, Nonetheless, for those various reasons in our creed, we attribute this to the Holy Ghost. And so, as uh, we are talking about a great mystery here, of course, and um, um, nonetheless, the uh, authors of this catechism uh, do a great job in just presenting uh, the whole idea very simply. And so, we are going to stop there today um, in our, as we begin this third article of the creed, we are, we will be, we will continue next time, uh, speaking about um, how in the carnation some things were natural and others things were supernatural. Um, so we will keep on studying this third article, and I hope you you will join me next time. I'm Mark Langley, and thank you for joining me in this episode of exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a year.